Amen. Amen. We've had church already. We had a three-point sermon on how to give and why to give. Thank you, Pastor Randy. Always a good word on why we give at Word of Life. Um, And today is Mother's Day. Hallelujah. Thank you, moms, for showing up today. Appreciate that. Thank you, sons, daughters, grandkids, brothers, sisters, for showing up for your moms today. Appreciate that. Good job. Um, Look at your mom and say, I love you right now if you can. Um, Or text her if she does that. Or if you haven't yet, actually right now, first challenge of the day, right before, I know we usually save challenges for the end of the talk, but right now, if you haven't yet, no, 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 let's everybody do it, because I don't want to out the people who haven't yet. If you haven't yet, go ahead and take your phone out and send your mom a message, even if she's sitting next to you, it's okay, it's all right. Send her a message and tell her you love her and one thing, one word you think of when you think of how amazing she is, all right? I know that um, as Pastor Megan handled this moment very, very uh, well, um, there are mothers who aren't with us anymore, and there's all kinds of expressions of gratefulness for the lives that mothers have lived, and it's a day of remembrance and celebration of motherhood in general. And and if I can say it this way at the opening of this talk, um, I am grateful, so, so grateful for the women who have poured into my life who are not my biological mother. There have been, there's a list. I'm actually going to read a few of their names in a moment, but if I wanted to read all of their names, we would be here all day. And I want to say thank you to those of you who may not have biological children here present or at all, but you've been a mother to those who needed a mom. You've adopted those who weren't your own, and they've been mothered by you. So thank you. We love you. Can we give a round of applause for those who have given motherly love and mother moments? Yeah, I'd be in big trouble if I didn't say happy Mother's Day to Della. To Della. Mom, I love you. You're the reason I'm here, quite literally. So love you. And uh, Tara, be in big trouble if I didn't say happy Mother's Day to her. Love you, babe. You're the best. Um, There's always this dangerous moment when you say you're the best mom to your wife and your mom's also in the room. (laughs) Just going to leave that there. (laughs) Motherhood is more than a person who bore a child, isn't it? Um, I had the chance this week, I cover phys ed classes for our private school. Here at Word of Life, we have a school called Word of Life Christian Academy. It's amazing what they do. The combination of biblical principles and values along with the education that they give kids is incredible. And I get to go over and hang out with these kids for phys ed once in a while and, um, and just play games with them. And uh, this week, I took the chance to say to them, and this is kids from uh, like three, four years old all the way up to sixth grade, which is like 12, 13-ish. And uh, I asked some of them, hey, what do you love most about your mom? What, what, do, you lo- what, what do you love about your mom? And, and I wanted to share with you some of their answers today, um, if I can. Is that all right? Can I, can I do that? All right. Lots of yeses in the room, and I'm sure yes is online. All right. So some of them just said plainly, she loves me. She cares for me. She's patient. Some of them said, she lets me take naps. Some of them said, I love my mom because she gives me money. <laughs> Amen? Amen? Anybody else in the room? No, don't. <laughs> Some of the, actually, this was um, a pretty fun answer. One, and I think my kids could probably uh, repeat this one, but I love my mom because she gives me my sleepy medicine. <laughs> Maybe that's a dangerous one, I don't know, but who doesn't love some good melatonin at night, right? Um, can't say Benadryl, that's too edgy. But... Some of the kids said, oh, I love my mom because uh, she lets me stay up late. But then others actually said, had two kids actually say, I love my mom because she puts me to bed early, and I like to go to bed early. 
And I was like, what? What kind of magic are your parents doing? What? I need to find out where that magic wand is. I don't know. Um, but I loved this answer. And I actually got this answer quite a bit from many different kids in different age groups. Um, this is kind of the most common answer I got was, I love my mom because she gives, because we have snuggle time. And it was actually that language kept coming back. We get snuggle time. We get snuggle time. Some kids said, uh, she gives me big hugs or uh, we get to cuddle together. And so um, if you haven't cuddled your mom in a while, maybe, you know, right now, just, you know, get up next to her and let her throw your, her arm around you. I remember as a kid, I would dive my head behind my mom for some reason. I don't know why. Like, I'd get home from football practice, like, you know, senior in high school, and I would lay on the couch and I'd just drive my head into her back. And it got to the point where she'd be like, get off me. I know I love you, mom. Cuddles. Man, I should have said, like, snuggle time. It's so good. Love that, mom. Doesn't happen anymore, though. It's so sad. But that's because she's far away, and maybe later. Maybe, maybe next time I come to town, I'll do that. All right, so those, that's the list. There have been many moms in my life that have played a huge role, and I know we could stay here all day, but there's been such an amazing group of ladies who have spent energy and time being a mom to me. Mrs. Burgum, who was a friend of a friend of a friend. Nancy Renda, a pastor's wife, who loved us and our family well. My mom-in-laws, both of them, both of them, and they're amazing. And Mrs. Leffler, my second and third grade teacher. Listen, I was in second and third grade when my parents got divorced. And as a kid, that was a wreck for me. Like, I was, I was broken. And, and sometimes as an, as an older kid, I was broken too, right? That's tough. Well, Mrs. Leffler was my teacher, and she let me come into class and cry it out on her hip. And she would just hold me with her hand over my shoulder and just teach the class while she was letting me cry it out. Now, she did for the one what I'm sure she wished she could do for everyone, but she let me be the one that got the, the care, the, the, the hug, the snuggle when I needed it in class. And so for you teachers that are doing that on a daily basis for those kids, I want to say thank you to you, and we honor you for being that, that caregiver in their lives. There's been Tanya, Mrs. Benson, another teacher in my life, a science teacher that was hard. She wasn't holding me against her hip. She was speaking truth and telling me what an idiot I was, Right? And that's a mom thing. Moms, thank you for speaking truth and telling your kids, stop being a moron, right? I'll say that for all the morons that are your kids. Thank you. Speak the truth. We need it. Um, Thank you, Mrs. Benson, for speaking the truth and love and giving me grace. There's been Sharon and Kathy and Tina, and I could go on and on and on about the friends that have played an important role in my life to show me what it means to be loved selflessly, and to be served by Christ through them. <sighs> Mom's Day. Well, that's what I have for Mother's Day. And in the midst of Mother's Day, um, I thought it present and appropriate to talk about the topic of servant leadership. That's our theme for today. And as you saw, the title of this message could be the countercultural kingdom. Uh, the kingdom of God is a kingdom that is reinforced and molded and shaped by service. I've heard somebody say that servant leadership shouldn't even be called servant leadership because then you think there's another kind of leadership or another kind of influence besides servant influence or servant leadership. And I might agree with that, but today for the sake of the conversation, I would say, what does it mean for us to think about influencing others through the way we serve them? Some of my 
favorite mom moments actually have to do with mom serving others, and that's why I think it's an appropriate conversation to have today. I remember hours, hours where my mom would be making dinner in the kitchen for one round of football players, and then another hour, hour segment of other friends that would come in later, and she would just continually be making food and putting on the table. And I don't know how our refrigerator, it must have had some kind of mom magic in it because she just continued to be able to make food as people came in the house. And uh, over the years, I've seen that happen in different homes, and mom never let somebody come into our house or leave our house without at least getting a prayer and a meatball, right? That was it. Like, you got to hear that you're loved by Jesus and get something to eat. Sometimes, because we're Lebanese family, it would be hummus. Sometimes it'd be tabbouleh. Sometimes it'd be something a little bit more funky, like a grape leaf in your mouth. But you'd get something to eat before you left. And so I love the way that she not just fed us, but served us in a way that was real life. If you don't get anything else from today, get this, that as we follow Jesus, there ought to be an attitude of humble service that accompanies all we do. As we follow him, his life in us changes the way we treat others, and we start to see others as more important or a priority above our own desires and wishes. And I saw that exampled for me and my mom. The trouble is with this, well, actually the blessing in this and the important thing is if you get this right, it will affect every relationship in your life. Not just your relationship with your mom, but every relationship will be changed if you understand the principles I'm going to talk to you about today. For the better. Your relationships at work, your relationships at home, your relationships with neighbors, your relationships with friends in the clubs that you're part of will all be better if you get it and you start to apply the stuff that we're going to talk about today. The downside is if you don't get it, it will affect every one of those relationships as well. Does that make sense? If that makes sense, give me one clap. All right, that's half of you online. I couldn't hear it, but you know what the emoji for clapping is. Throw that up there. If it makes sense, let's see it. Here's the thing. If you get what it means to be a humble servant to others, it will affect every relationship for better or for worse. So to tension to the tension of today's conversation, I hope you realize there is an important piece of understanding Christ's heart and example in this portion of scripture that will change your life one way or the other. Even if you leave here and you forget everything I said, your life will be changed. If you do nothing, your life will be changed because of the principles that apply here. So I'm going to read John chapter 13, verses 1 through 15. If you're in-house, take a second, open your Bible up. If you've got a phone, open up your Bible app. If you're online, there's a cool tab. You can actually click on the Bible tab, and it'll pop up a Bible that you can choose from. I'm going to read 13 verses, and then go back, and we're going to walk through this and see how Christ sets an example for us in this. My mom set the example. All these ladies who, who were moms to me set the example in my life. But long before they set the example of servant leadership, there was one who performed an amazing act of servant leadership that we can all look to and find hope and help and, and advice in, all right? So, Father, I thank you for the chance to open your word. I pray that you would help me to lift it up so that the light of it would be seen by all in this room and who are listening to my voice. And I pray that you would be the change that we need and the power that we need for that change, God. Make it so in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. John 13, we catch up with Jesus and the disciples, and they're about to eat dinner. And he says, before, this is John 13, verse 1, before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. 
He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything, and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, you're going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested, you will never wash my feet. Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Simon Peter exclaimed, then wash my hands and head as well. Please wash everything. I just see him freaking out at this moment. Okay, I want to belong to you. Please let me belong to you. Wash everything. Okay, I I forget what I said. All right, back to the text. Verse 10, Jesus replied, a person who has bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. And And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. For Jesus knew who would betray him. That is what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, Do you understand what I I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I've given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. Father, thank you for your word. Lead us in it. Let's dial back to verse one. I'm going to give you six things I see. That's not six. Six things I see in this story that I think we all need to take home with us this week. The first one is this, and right up front, Jesus, uh, the Holy Spirit, leads the author of this story to reinforce one very critical principle that is the foundation for the rest of our service. His service to them is rooted in love for them. His service to them is rooted in love for them. This speaks to the identity not just of the person being served, but to the person who's serving. Christ, to the end, for those who would betray him, loved them and served them. It doesn't go beyond us and doesn't slip by us that Judas is still in the room when Jesus chooses to wash the feet of these men. And, and, And let's not forget that it wouldn't be long before Peter would also deny Christ. Judas isn't the only bad guy in the room, bad guy. And honestly, I think it's incredibly important to understand that as Christ sets the example as service to his disciples, he sets it from the forefront as an identifier of his love for them. He has high regard for these men, whether or not their performance says he should. Get this, your performance doesn't dictate your position with God. Christ didn't say, oh, I'd wash your feet, Judas, but you're about to betray me. Actually, you already did, so get out. Once you clean up your act, bring yourself back in and maybe you can be part of this crew again. Your performance as a parent, your performance as a boss, your performance as a friend, your performance as a brother, as a sister, your performance as a church participant attendee does not dictate your position with Christ because Christ loves you Irrelevant of your performance. Amen? It's good news. It's good news. So we start there. The identity of someone who follows Christ is not based on their actions. It's based on his love for us. That's the foundation. 
His service to them is transformational, not transactional. It's indiscriminate of their loyalty. They would turn from him, and he knew it. And they knew it. It wasn't just his love for them that affected his service to them. It was the reality that in the midst of the moment that Peter later denied him, he remembered back. As he further understood what Jesus was doing, he was transformed by the service that Christ gave him. What he beheld in Christ changed what he believed and how then he behaved. His actions followed the transformation of Christ's service to them, to him and to them. In verse 5, we see this beautiful moment. Um, I, I heard a preacher a while back, a long time ago, talk about the inevitable disgusting of these toes. And I won't get into it all that much, but the sewer system was way different in Jesus' day. Right? I mean, they didn't have French drains and sump pumps and like city sewers on the side of the road. They had a path that they shared with donkeys and all the different animals, and as they walked through town, as they traveled the paths to get where they needed to go, after a long day sitting down at dinner, there was a lot of funk in those toes. And Jesus took the time to wash the mess. He wasn't afraid of wrapping a towel around his waist and wiping those nasty feet. Anybody got nasty feet in the room? No, don't raise your hands. Jesus ain't afraid of your nasty feet. You ain't afraid. That's one of the things I love about talking about this message on Mother's Day, because moms are not afraid of messes, right? I mean, from diapers to everything else, as it rises up, moms have to get messy from the start, and they jump in. I remember I was, I, we were within walking distance of my first grade class at my school, and I was running to school as a little guy, and mom had walked out the back door, made sure I got close enough. Just before I got into, into the doorway, I slipped and skid. It felt like 20 miles. Like I hit the ground and just slid in the mud, and my whole body was just covered in stinky, nasty mud. And I immediately start crying and turn myself around and run back to the apartment where we lived. And I knock on the door, which had probably just been closed, and mom picks me up with no care for her own cleanliness, picks me up and sets me on the dryer next to the back door. And I don't know about you, but the lint smell from a dryer to me is just so comforting. Anybody else? I mean, hopefully, <laughs> yeah, I don't know what, this is probably why, but I just love the smell of a running dryer. Mom picks me up, sets me on the dryer, and tells me, it's okay, it's okay. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm, I'm a mess. And, you know, I think it's the end of the world. All my friends saw me fall in the mud. She gets me changed, cleaned up walks me back over to school, knocks on the door, and I go into class perfectly fine, happy, ready for a new day. Moms aren't afraid of messes. And Christ wasn't afraid of a mess in the midst of his followers' lives. Your mess is never going to exceed what Christ is ready to walk with you in. And he has the power and the ability not just to clean up your nasty feet, but to clean up your nasty life. All right? And, if, and have I just said, like, your nasty life, and you were like, what? You're... What? Hey, if you can't get over the fact that your life is nasty, then that's the first step today. Welcome, congratulations. Take some time, think about it. You've done some nasty things, right? And, and I have too. And we, sometimes we get, we get it wrong, and we need Christ to clean up our messes, and he's not afraid of them. So, I got to move on. 
He serves. Number four, he serves them in the midst of knowing he will be misunderstood. Duh. This is a gut punch for me. I hate being misunderstood. I hate being misrepresented. I don't like people seeing what I do, hearing what I say, and then repeating it in a way that's misunderstanding or misinterpreted. I just, it drives me crazy. And what I see, what has what impacted me most as I've read this story is the fact that Jesus knew he was being misunderstood. He knew these guys didn't understand what he was doing. He knew they were going to tell a story that was different than what he was actually doing. And he says, I know you don't understand now what I'm doing, but some, sometime in the future you will. And he did it anyway. He served them anyway. When you have an opportunity to serve someone and you want to follow Jesus in suit, you can't be concerned about whether or not people are going to understand what you're doing. Christ said, I serve a higher calling. And I'm going to do this whether or not you misrepresent me, whether or not you misunderstand me, because it's the right thing to do. This isn't an easy one today, I know. But... I mean, why be easy? It's Mother's Day, right? It's a day to do hard things and to talk about the love that we have for people that's not about us, it's about others. Incorrect inferences are going to be made about you when you're living following Jesus. People are going to make assumptions. Serve them anyway. Number five, he serves them with clear intention. With clear intention. Now, there's a lot of talk about like setting your intention at the beginning of the day. Today, I'm just going to be grateful. Today, I'm going to live with joy, right? Like that, there's this form of intention that comes, it's kind of Eastern. That is not what I'm talking about, although uh, I don't necessarily disagree with the application of coming to your day from a position of joy and gratefulness. Those are great things to do. But when Jesus steps into this space, of serving his disciples, he steps into this place intentionally with a clear understanding of where he wants to go and what he wants to do and what he's going to say yes to and what he's going to say no to. In verse, this is verse 8. In the end of verse 8, he tells Peter, no. Peter says, no, 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 don't, you're not going to clean my feet. Jesus could have easily been like a people pleasing in this moment and said, oh, okay, Peter, you know, it's cool. You know, I'll just do, you know, you're a good guy and I know you're pretty anxious, so let's just, I'll just do whatever makes you feel good, all right? And, you know, that's, that's what I'm here for. No, it's not what Jesus does. He comes to this place with intention to set an example and to show Peter what it looks like to both serve him and what he ought to do in the future. And servant leadership over time has caught this bad this, this kind of bad rap for milk toast mentality, right? I had a football coach that used to say, don't be milk toast, Jeremiah, don't be milk toast. Don't, this isn't about being weak and soft. This is about being intentional, about serving others with a humble attitude. And when you do that, sometimes you gotta tell people the truth about what you're doing and what you're not doing. Sometimes you gotta say, no, I'm not gonna do that because if I did that, it'd be for your, not your benefit, Right? Servant leadership isn't about going to work and doing everything for your employees that they should be doing for themselves. It's about walking into work and loving them and seeing their highest best and being committed to helping them move forward in, in hard conversations and sometimes sweeping with them and carrying boxes for them. But other times it's about saying, hey man, you dropped the ball on that project and I just want to come alongside of you and see, you know, how can I help you move forward in this? Because I see potential in you. Servant leadership isn't about soft, weak, get rolled over. It's about speaking truth for other people's good. 
And Jesus shows us that Peter needed a no in a moment where he wanted a yes. And Jesus was willing to do so. Jesus serves confidently knowing his identity. He serves confidently knowing his identity. This verse 13, I want to read this again. It says, you called me teacher and Lord, and you are right, because that's what I am. You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have been washed, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. He knows who he is, and he comes from a position of strength and of identity and serves them in the midst of it. And he reminds them who he is. Try this this week. When you want to serve somebody, say this, I'm committed to your best. I'm committed to your, I'm here right now because I'm committed to your best. How can we work together to make your best happen? And when you come to somebody in that position, even if it's a difficult conversation, you share with them your desire to push them forward or to pull them to a future reality that would be better than the one they're in, you're winning and you're doing what Jesus is doing. His clarity on who he was gave clarity on what he did. This goes back to that number one conversation about love, that number one point about knowing you're loved and knowing your, your service comes from a place of being loved. His clarity on who he was gave clarity on what he did. So our clarity on who he is gives us clarity on what we do. If Jesus is our teacher and Lord, then it changes what we do on a day-to-day basis. The culture of the kingdom is built on the knowledge that our teacher and Lord served us, so now we get to serve others so that they can see him through us. We want people to see Christ in our service to them. The most beautiful thing I think we see in moms that love their kids well or these women throughout our lives that serve sacrificially is because we see a glimmer of the gospel through that action, through that life, through that love. And it's beautiful. So for those of you who have made Jesus your teacher and Lord, I want to ask you a question. Where does your thinking need to change about how you serve others? Because action starts with thinking. It actually doesn't start with your hands or your feet or your service, but it starts with thinking. How does your thinking need to change? If you say you follow Jesus and he has changed your life, how does your thinking need to change in the way that you serve others? I remember I walked in here my first week at Word of Life. I was bringing boxes into my office. And I, I had, I, it was 2011. I had been a youth pastor at another church for about three years I had preached a lot of sermons. I had led a lot of Bible studies, a lot of small groups, and I was walking through the door, and Pastor Claude met me at the front door, and I had a box in my hand, and I had more boxes in the van. And I'm walking through, and he goes, hey, let me carry that for you. And I go, no, I got it. And, he, and he's holding the door. He goes, no, let me carry that for you. And I go, no, I got it. And then he walks away from the door. He steps in front of me and says, let me carry that for you. And I said, Okay. My thinking had to change. My thinking had to change to let someone serve me. How does your thinking need to change so that you can be more like Jesus in the midst of the story? For those of you who've been trying to follow Jesus' example, maybe in your own strength, even these principles, you're writing them down because you're thinking, man, this Jesus guy, he was sharp. He's got a lot of leadership principles. I got to remember, hey, go ahead and try these for a while. They're going to crush you if you try to do them. here's Here's the trump card of the gospel is that all the things that Jesus did 
will crush you if he's not with you. Because we'll try to do them all in our own strength, and then all of a sudden one day we'll wake up and be exhausted and tired, and people won't be giving us the things that we thought they would give us as a result. And in the midst of the journey, without knowing the compassion and love and forgiveness of Christ, we've built our own religion of action and performance instead of a faith-filled expression. So if you're here today and you've heard great principles, awesome, glad you did. But I want you to consider the idea that Christ is more than an example for you to follow. He's a savior for you to receive. Some of you in this room need to hear today that it's not about doing what you need to do, it's about believing what you need to believe. Christ loves you, he gave his life for you. In one chapter prior to this one, he said, my life will be laid down like a seed, crushed and planted in the ground, covered over like a tomb, so that I can grow up and that others might have life through me. Christ's life, he wasn't just serving lip service, washing feet, his life was crushed. He was whipped and destroyed so that we wouldn't have to be. Don't be crushed under the weight of obligation and service leadership. Be lifted up and filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit. And let the joy of the Holy Spirit that fills you by way of receiving him as Lord be the expression to others of his goodness. The only way we can freely follow his example is to be filled with his spirit. And the only way we can be filled with his spirit is to fall into his arms. It's not about what we do. It's not about how we do it. It's about who's holding us up every day. And as followers of Christ, I want to encourage you to come back to the one who has washed your feet again and again and again. Tomorrow when you wake up, come back to the one who washes your feet. His name is Jesus. Next week, when work gets tough and you remember this one principle, whatever it might be, remember, Jesus is the one who washes your feet and he's with you in the mess and he's with you in the majesty. He's with you in everything in between. If you're here and you haven't accepted Christ, I wanna invite you, please, if there's nothing, actually, forget about service leadership. If there's nothing you remember from today, remember that you are loved by the king of heaven and earth. And he gave everything to be near you. I want to invite you, if you're here and, you, and this talk has resonated with you, if there's stuff about this that has impacted your heart and you're kind of, maybe your heart is beating a little bit harder than it was when we started, um, I want to challenge you to think that it's not just my voice, it's not just the music, it's not just the lights, it's not just um, the amazing broadcast mix that goes out, but it's rather the Holy Spirit calling you to come home to Him. And so in the midst of your difficulty, in the midst of your story, He's ready, willing, and able to redeem. Would you guys bow your eyes? Bow your eyes and close your heads? No? That'd be weird. If you can close your head, meet me afterward and tell me how to do that. Bow your head and close your eyes. Would you you go ahead and do that? If you're here today and you've lived, maybe you've lived out these principles and you've heard this story before, And you could say, if we were sitting over coffee, you would say to me, Jeremiah, I've tried it. I've tried it and I'm tired. I'm done. I'm done giving. I'm done serving. They don't appreciate it. I'm done. And today's the day where you say, I'm done doing it in my own strength. And I just need to fall into the arms of my Savior again. If that's you... I want you to raise your hand and say, that's me. I just need to fall into the arms of my Savior again and return to the rest I had in him. 
when I first knew him. I'm going to start from my right, your left, and look across the room. If, if that's you, raise your hand. I'm going to pray with you in just a moment. I see that hand in the back. Thank you. Moving across from my right. I see you in the front. I see you. If you're online, click that raise hand button. I know what that means. Thank you. I see you in the back. I see you across the room. Thank you. I'm going to pray for you, and then we're going to do one more raise hand moment. But for this one, those of you who are tired and weary of serving in your own strength, who need to fall into the arms of Jesus, Father, we lift these weary hands to you. And we say to you, God, thank you for what you've done. Thank you for walking through our mess with us. But we are tired. And we need you to restore to our hearts the joy of our salvation. Lord, change our thinking so that we would walk after you, not out of obligation or religion, but out of relationship and the joy of knowing you intimately. Praise you for them. If you're in the room or online and you have never prayed a prayer to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want you now to raise your hand and say, that's me. I mean, I I haven't even tried these things, but I'm willing to today. I'm willing to both follow the example of Jesus and invite him to forgive me for the moments that I've dropped the ball. If that's you in the room, I want you to raise your hand. In the same way, I'm going to go from my right to my left. I want to see those hands. If that's you and you're saying, I want to follow Jesus and his example for me. Thank you, Lord. Same online, if you're out there and there's a moment where you're feeling like, I need to follow Jesus and I've never actually prayed a prayer to accept him as my Savior, today's the day. Click that raise hand button. Father, I thank you for the hearts and minds that have been changed because of what you've done. I praise you for the principles that you laid out before us in your word and for the way that you've called us to be your own, not because of our performance, but because of your love for us. Jesus, as I've heard your daughter, Pastor Lisa, say so much, so many times, it's, it's not our doing that causes you to love us more. There's nothing we could do to cause you to love us less. You love us because your love is eternal. God, I thank you that your love is eternal and that it never changes. Our lives are built on what you've said. And I pray, God, that you would break our heart for what breaks yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Word of Life. I love you. Happy Mother's Day. Uh, Leslie and Aaron are going to come up and close us out. They're sneaking up on me somewhere. <laughs>